House and Senate are both in recess and will not return until September 9th. So last week on the House floor, nothing happened because they were in recess. This week on the House floor, nothing will happen because they're in recess. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate came back to work on Monday and took up the veto messages from the president on the arms sales resolutions that were passed the previous week. The first three votes of the week were attempts to override the president's vetoes. All three failed to garner the two-thirds majority necessary, so the vetoes were sustained. Then the Senate began taking up nominations. Between Monday night and late Wednesday afternoon, the Senate confirmed the following people to the following positions. Michael T. Liberti to be U.S. District Judge for the District of Arizona. Peter D. Welt to be U.S. District Judge for the District of North Dakota. James Wesley Hendricks to be U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Texas. Anticipating your question, no, I have no idea if Judge Hendricks goes by Jimmy. Sean D. Jordan to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Texas. Mark T. Pittman to be U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Texas. Jeffrey Vincent Brown to be U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of Texas. Brantley Starr to be U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Texas. Jason K. Pulliam to be U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Texas. Martha Maria Pacold to be U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Illinois. William Shaw Stickman to be U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Pennsylvania. And finally, Kelly Kraft to be Ambassador of the United States to the United Nations and Representative to the Security Council. The Senate came back in on Thursday morning and took up H.R. 3877, the budget-busting spending agreement. First up was Senator Rand Paul's amendment, described as a cut cap and balance amendment that would impose a 10-year top-line budget that would institute new budget caps, reducing spending by 2% per year for the next 10 years, and require Congress to send to the states a balanced budget amendment for ratification before it can raise the debt ceiling by $500 billion. The Paul Amendment was rejected by a vote of 23 to 70. For those keeping score at home, the 23 champions of fiscal discipline on this exercise were Senators Barrasso, Blackburn, Braun, Cornyn, Crapo, Cruz, Danes, Enzi, Ernst, Fisher, Johnson, Kennedy, Lankford, Lee, Moran, Paul, Rich, Romney, Rubio, Sass, Scott of South Carolina, Toomey, and Young. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on H.R. 3877, and then the Senate voted on H.R. 3877 itself. The spending agreement passed by a vote of 68 to 27. The 27 no votes were not all Republicans. Democrats Michael Bennett, Tom Carper, Amy Klobuchar, Joe Manchin, and John Tester voted against the bill. The Republican no votes were Blackburn, Braun, Cassidy, Cotton, Cruz, Danes, Enzi, Fisher, Gardner, Hawley, Johnson, Kennedy, Lankford, Lee, Paul, Rich, Romney, Rubio, Sass, Scott of Florida, Scott of South Carolina, Tillis, and Toomey. Interestingly, there were several Republican senators who voted for the Paul Amendment, but also voted for the spending agreement. They were Senators Barrasso, Cornyn, Ernst, Moran, and Young. There were even Republican senators who voted against the Paul Amendment, but also voted against the spending deal. They were Senators Cassidy, Cotton, Gardner, Hawley, Scott of Florida, and Tillis. And then they were done. This week on the Senate floor, nothing's happening. They're in recess. On the border security immigration front, a new Hill-Harris-X poll released last Monday shows that a plurality of voters, 41%, favor criminal prosecutions for those who cross the U.S. border illegally. 
as opposed to 32% who said they believed a civil fine was the appropriate remedy. Not surprisingly, partisan divisions were evident. A strong majority of Republicans, 67%, support criminal prosecution, while just 24% of Democrats said the same. Among independents, the numbers were closer, but criminal prosecution was still favored by a plurality over a civil fine, 36 to 33 percent. On Thursday, the Senate Judiciary Committee passed S-1494, the Secure and Protect Act of 2019, Chairman Lindsey Graham's asylum reform bill, over loud protests from committee Democrats. The Democrats were upset that Graham would not allow consideration of any Democrat amendments. Graham countered that the bill had originally been scheduled for committee consideration the previous week, but only one Democrat had showed up for the hearing, thereby denying him the ability to discuss the legislation. The bill would remove several protections for migrant children and raise the bar for obtaining asylum in the United States. The bill seeks to modify the 1997 Flores Agreement by raising the 20-day limit for holding an illegal immigrant child in custody to 100 days. Graham believes the legislation can be folded into the appropriations bill for the Department of Homeland Security. Democrat leader Chuck Schumer assured him that would not happen. We'll see. On the impeachment front, and yes, make a note, we now have a category in the weekly report that we will be revisiting from time to time for the first time this week. It's called impeachment. Don't look now, but impeachment is about to become a thing. Since former special counsel Robert Mueller's testimony on July 24, 23 Democrat members of the House have added their names to the list of those supporting the opening of an impeachment inquiry. The list now stands at 118, which is significant. That's more than half the Democratic caucus in the House. This is happening despite the fact that majorities of the electorate, not pluralities, but majorities of the electorate oppose the opening of such an impeachment inquiry. In the most recent Quinnipiac University survey, for instance, 60% of respondents said they don't support beginning the process to impeach the president. Nevertheless, the pressure on House Democrats is going to increase over the next month. Four progressive groups, Indivisible, Move On, Need to Impeach, and Stand Up America, are launching a joint campaign over the August recess to focus on members of the House Democratic leadership and the Judiciary Committee who have not yet announced their support for an impeachment inquiry. To the Russia hoax, though the Department of Justice Inspector General's report on the matter still has not been released, and we've been told now to expect it sometime in September, Leaks reveal that the Justice Department has concluded that former FBI Director James Comey violated the law by leaking classified information, but will not face criminal indictment for his actions. Comey has said from the start that he believed the memos he wrote detailing his conversations with President Trump to be his personal property rather than official FBI records. And he said he believed he was free to use them outside his government service wrote the Wall Street Journal, quote, the exact reason for the decision not to prosecute is unclear, but typically the Justice Department does not bring such cases unless prosecutors can prove some intent to violate the laws governing the handling of classified information. Mr. Comey himself publicly outlined that standard when he announced in 2016 that Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton and her aides wouldn't face charges 
over mishandling classified information in email messages stored on her personal server, end quote. So the new standard for criminal prosecution appears to be whether or not you believed you were committing a crime at the time you committed the crime. Remember that, all you who are considering, say, robbing a bank. If and when you get caught, you simply say, I didn't think it was a crime to rob a bank and look very, very serious when you say it. And maybe that'll work for you, too. On the socialism front, yeah, that's a new that's a new tag too. socialism. On Monday, Montana Senator Steve Daines introduced S. Res. 289, entitled A Resolution Expressing the Sense of the Senate That Socialism Poses a Significant Threat to Freedom, Liberty, and Economic Prosperity, end quote. The text is relatively short, so I'm going to read it. It says, quote, Whereas Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines socialism as one, any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods, and two, a system of society or group living in which there is no private property, whereas socialism and the policies advocated by self-described democratic socialists have an underlying historical connection to the Marxist theory, whereas history has witnessed countless failed Marxist-inspired regimes, whereas because of the perverse incentives and inherent flaws of the Marxist theory, socialism inevitably leads to societal rot, resulting in devastation, economic poverty, and destruction, whereas prominent elected officials in the Senate and the House of Representatives are self-described socialists, and espouse socialist proposals, whereas socialist policies such as the Green New Deal and socialized medicine would, one, eliminate the private property rights of all people of the United States, and two, force taxpayers to pay trillions of dollars to implement, whereas Alexis de Tocqueville wrote, quote, democracy and socialism have nothing in common but one word, equality. But notice the difference. While democracy seeks equality in liberty, socialism seeks equality in restraint and servitude. Whereas Margaret Thatcher once stated, quote, socialist governments always run out of other people's money, end quote, and thus the way to prosperity is for the state to give, quote, the people more choice to spend their own money in their own way, end quote. Whereas free market capitalism is the greatest engine for human advancement in the history of the world, bringing more people out of poverty and into prosperity than any economic model in the history of mankind. Whereas the United States is the single greatest country in the history of the world, due in large part to its system of government that secures the private property rights of all citizens through the genius of the Constitution of the United States. And whereas on February 5, 2019, in the State of the Union Address, President Donald J. Trump declared, one, we are alarmed by new calls to adopt socialism in our country, and two, America will never be a socialist country. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Senate won acknowledges that Marxism and socialism are failed ideologies. Two, recognizes that socialism poses a significant threat to the freedom, liberty, and economic prosperity of all countries and peoples around the world. Three, accepts that socialism is a failed experiment of governance that inevitably ends in misery and suffering. Four, declares that throughout the history, tradition, and national civic spirit of the United States, the United States has been a beacon of light, shining like a lighthouse to the rest of the world, demonstrating that freedom and liberty are the surest foundation of government, and five, affirms that the United States should never be a socialist country. By the end of the week, the Danes' resolution had picked up only one co-sponsor, Tennessee Republican Marsha Blackburn. 
More on spending. On Thursday, the Senate passed H.R. 3877, lifting the debt ceiling for two years and busting the Budget Control Act sequester spending levels by more than $320 billion in FY2020 spending. On Friday, President Trump signed the bill into law. This bill did not appropriate a single penny. It is not a spending bill. It is merely a budget guidance reflecting what the congressional leaders of both parties and both chambers have agreed to spend in broad generalities. Congress will still have to pass the spending bills that fund government operations, either individually, as is preferred, or in some combination or combinations. Those bills will have to be passed by September 30, or the affected government agencies will have to shut down. But Congress won't be back until September 9, and then we'll only have three weeks before the start of the new fiscal year on October 1. So I expect we're going to see a short-term continuing resolution that will fund the government for another 30 or maybe 60 days to keep the government open and running while the appropriators finish their work. Finally, on the staffing front, on Friday, after five days of pummeling, President Trump and Congressman John Ratcliffe decided not to go forward with the nomination of Ratcliffe to replace Dan Coats as Director of National Intelligence. Trump tweeted the announcement less than five days after he first announced his intent to nominate Ratcliffe to the position. Ratcliffe's marks the 35th Trump nomination to a major position that was withdrawn after its announcement. And that's our Washington Report for this week.